Great. Um, as Lou was saying earlier, at the moment we're going through, if you've been coming here um, any time in the last couple of weeks, you'll know we're going through um, the book of Luke at the moment. Luke was a physician, and he was a physician around the time of Jesus, and he meticulously compiled eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And as we've seen the last few weeks, the chapters 17 and 18, they challenge people's, con- people's conceptions about the kingdom of God. People's conceptions on prayer, on money, on righteousness. And so if you haven't heard any of the previous talks, I do recommend you have a listen. They're available online on our website. So do take a listen to those. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. And the people would have been shocked and surprised. Because Jesus' teaching was not what people expected. I was trying to think of an equivalent, a modern day equivalent, someone that would be like him today. The only person I could think of was Nigel Farage. (laughs) Now I'm not making a political point here. I'm not saying that Jesus would or wouldn't agree with Nigel Farage. But you see what I mean? Everywhere that Nigel Farage goes, everywhere that Jesus went, he caused a stir, didn't he? It was commotion. Everything he does, everything he says. The people thought they had it all sorted. They thought they understood the kingdom of God. Are we in danger of being like that? What misconceptions do we have this morning? that Luke can help us with? And are we ready to let Jesus challenge our misconceptions? Even if we've heard it before, even if we've read this passage before, we constantly need re-challenging, don't we? So let's look at our passage. It's Luke chapter 18, starting from verse 18. So that's on page 105.2. The rich ruler and the kingdom of God. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So while Jesus is teaching, along comes a rich man. The passage says he's a ruler. From the word that Luke's using, we might deduce that he probably isn't a religious ruler, but maybe an influential wealthy man or or a civic leader or something. And he starts by calling Jesus good teacher. Now, we know that Jesus isn't saying that he isn't God here, but why does he answer that only God is good? Many scholars have proposed interpretations on what's meant, and I'm going to share one that seems the most likely to me. Do you know if you ever heard anyone say, I'm good, or it's all good, or everything is good? It's quite a popular saying these days, isn't it? Just the other day, I heard someone being asked how they were, and they replied, yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks but I know that they'd recently lost a family member. The rich ruler has a soft view of good. He uses the word in quite a loose way. He calls Jesus good, and he hopes that he will be called good in return. But Jesus' reply, no, not everything is good. Actually, only God is good. God has such a much higher standard. Jesus continues, verse 20, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. 
All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. The rich ruler must be feeling quite good at this point. Jesus challenged him. Great, he can meet those. What are the questions that Jesus asked him? Jesus has reminded him of five of the Ten Commandments. He picks those about outward things and behavior towards other human beings. Do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery. These commandments can be tested. And the man feels quite good because he can tick those boxes. But Jesus has left out the first commandments. The commandments to do with a person's relationship with God. So what does Jesus go on to say next? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He challenges the rich man about his wealth. Now is Jesus saying that everyone needs to simply give up all their possessions to go to heaven? Well, no, but he is telling this man to do so because he knows that this man loves his money. He asks the question that will challenge this man's heart and his attitude. He knows that this man values his wealth above God. If he was putting God first, like the first commandment, he would have chosen to give everything to follow Jesus. But the rich man prefers his earthly wealth, and he's not willing to give it up. Let's keep reading. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? See, the popular thinking at the time was that wealth was a blessing from God. So if even a rich man couldn't be saved, then who could be saved? I wonder if we sometimes think like the rich ruler. Maybe you were born in a Christian family. Maybe you've been going to church all your life. You read the Bible every day. Maybe you've never committed murder or adultery. You're a good person, right? But Jesus is saying here that that's not enough. So is there hope for anyone? Jesus replied, verse 27, What is impossible with men is possible with God. See, it's only God that saves us. It's not hopeless because of God's power. The rich ruler tried to earn his way into heaven. He tried to gain favor with God. But God's standard is much higher. We can only be saved by God's rich mercy. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. Have you been trying to earn God's favor? We need to remember that it's God that saves us. But isn't that great news? Isn't that a relief? Our salvation is not dependent on us, on the things that we do, on our performance. So, 
if we can't earn God's favor by following rules, why does Jesus ask the man to sell everything? The rich man was worried about keeping laws on the outside. He didn't commit adultery. He honored his father and mother. But God wants much more than him keeping the rules. God is not a legalistic ruler. We cannot just tick some boxes and follow some rules to make God happy. If we think about our earthly fathers for a minute. When I was growing up, I must have been about two or three at a time, my father would insist that I sat at the table to eat my biscuit. And um, I wasn't allowed to wander around in socks around the house. I either had to put shoes on or, or be barefoot. But think how miserable he would have been if the only relationship that he had with me was my obedience to the rules that he gave me. When I was young, when I was young, I bought him a cheap screwdriver for his birthday. It was a rubbish gift. <laughs> it was cheap and nasty. And he had loads of screwdrivers already. But he loved it. It was a gift from his son. We believe that God is our father. And he longs for us to love him. Not just keep a set of rules. Because of who God is, he deserves our undivided love. He wants the rich ruler completely. He wants to have the first place in this man's life. But for this man, his wealth was more important to him. So as we've seen, there can be obstacles to us loving God with all our heart. Money can be an obstacle. When we have money, it's difficult for us to trust in God rather than our, ourselves or our possessions. It's difficult for us to leave the false security of wealth, isn't it? But there are other obstacles. Jesus could see that the rich man was struggling because of his wealth. And so he challenged this man about it by asking him to give it up. What about you? Are you giving yourself fully to God? All of yourself? If Jesus were to challenge you today, in that same way like he challenged the rich man, what would be the question that he would ask you? What question would he ask you to see if you loved him more than anything? Jesus wants our whole selves completely. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Do you see the contrast? The disciples managed to do what the rich man failed to do. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. And so Jesus replies, verse 28, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. See, the disciples' sacrifice was worth it. Jesus said, says that they will receive many times as much 
in this age and in eternal life. The theologian Craig Evans put it like this, God is a debtor to no human. God is a debtor to no human. There is nothing that we can ever give to God that will make him owe us. Is that incredible? Let's keep reading. Verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Jesus describes here all that is going to happen to him. He knows the hardship that awaits. He knows it will be tough. He knows it will be hard. But he wants his disciples to know that he is in control and that he has chosen to go ahead with it. Why would he choose that? If he knows what's going to happen, why did he choose it? Let's take a look at a few verses. Some of you might be familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the first part of 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Isn't that amazing? He chose the cross because of how much he loved us. He loves us so much that he was willing to go through that. There's real beauty in the cross. Such pain, humility, yet so much glory, power, and control. Just when it looks like Jesus is at his weakest and most vulnerable, he is actually at his strongest. So Jesus mentions that he will fulfill scripture. Let's have a look at one of those passages that he's referring to. It's probably one of the most famous. It's Isaiah 53, if you want to look it up. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament part of the Bible. We reckon around 700 years before Christ. We don't have time to read it all, but I just want to point out a few verses that point to Jesus' death. There's, there's, there's loads more in there. So Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, but a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. If you've read the accounts of Jesus, says death, this might remind you of the time leading up to his death. Everyone rejected him, even his disciples. And then verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
This might remind you of some of the accounts of Jesus' trial before his death. In the face of the accusations, he was silent. And then verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This passage points to the fact that Jesus would die, even though he has done nothing wrong. And it also points to the fact that he would be buried in a tomb owned by a rich man, in this case, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, what I find incredible is how all these things can be written about the cross around 700 years before he came and fulfilled them. Isn't that incredible? Now, some of you may have been here yesterday. It was um, a really good time. We had a good party together. And um, it was fun organizing it as well. Some of our ideas come together. But so much was completely different to the way we'd imagined and planned it. Now, I want you to imagine this morning that we've been tasked with organizing the party for the Portsmouth Church party for in 700 years' time, all right? It's the party for the year 2715. It would be possible, wouldn't it? Well, they even like Kayleys. Will they even eat hot dogs? Will they still pay in pounds or euros or something? How can we know what parties will be like then? Yet Jesus' death was predicted in great detail 700 years before he came to the earth. And everything happened exactly as scripture foretold. Faced with such incredible evidence of his control, surely we can trust him. So, what have we seen in this passage? Well, first of all, we saw that it was God that saves us. We cannot earn our way to heaven. The rich ruler, do you remember, he wanted to tick those boxes, but he couldn't do it himself. It was impossible. Then we saw that God wants our undivided love He wants us to love him more than anything else. And thirdly, we saw how God is in control. He chose the cross in full knowledge of what would happen and in full control of the situation. If you haven't read the book of Luke before, can I encourage you? Why don't you give it a go? I pray that as you read it, the real person of Jesus would speak to you and reveal himself, that you may meet him. If you have read it before, why don't you read it again? And ask that Jesus would show you more of himself. Let me finish by asking, by reminding you the question that I asked you earlier. If Jesus tested you like he tests the rich ruler, what question would he ask? to see if you love him more than anything else? What question would he ask you to see if you love him more than anything else? Let's pray.
Jesus, we just want to thank you because we see how in control you are. You came and you fulfilled all those things that are written about you 700 years before you came. And we want to thank you because we know that it's you that saves us. There's nothing we can do that's not based on our performance. It's based on what you've done. And please help us give our all to, your, to you. Show me the obstacles in my life that prevent myself from giving all of me to you. Amen.